Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Matt Elkins. Matt just finished up competing in the PGF. He absolutely killed it. Wanted to sit down and talk to him. Got the honor to today. Matt, talk about your early wrestling experience. When did you start wrestling and when did you fall in love with grappling? Man, first uh, first things first, thank you for having me on. Glad to be here. Um, man, uh, wrestling started for me in second grade, uh, to be honest. Uh, if you want to know the, the real origin of how the Elkins boys got started wrestling, you'd have to understand that we were huge WWF and WCW wrestling fans. Mm. And uh, we had played baseball and football for a few years by then because I want to say I was eight or nine my first season. Um, had been playing other sports, and we started just to get uh, get better at football. Was the way that another dad sold it to to our dad, you know, to make him better at defense, you know, teach him how to tackle, and so that's the main reason that my dad decided like, hey, we're gonna go try wrestling. Why was I into it? Because if you've ever seen the South Park episode where they talk about, you know, they have like a wrestling organization and stuff like that. Very much so, I showed up to wrestling practice. They throw me in this tight-ass little singlet, and they're like, this is wrestling. And I'm like, this doesn't look anything like Rey Mysterio Jr. and his fine work. And, uh, yeah, dude, I, I took to it pretty well. Um, my first season, just like anybody else that gets into wrestling, got kind of thraxed a little bit. Um, I actually wound up finishing third in every single tournament ever my first season. I wrestled the same kid every single uh Every single tournament, my first match, his name was Josh Smith from Pell City, and he destroyed me every single rep, and then I would wrestle back for third. And then, uh, man, my second year, had a little more success, started winning a little more. Josh Smith wasn't in my weight class, you know, didn't destroy me every weekend, first match. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. I loved every sport, but the, uh, the individual nature of the sport and just knowing that when I won, it wasn't because – our quarterback or our pitcher had a really awesome game. I was like, yeah, I worked for this. I went out there and did it. You know, it's my victories. You know, the, the defeats were a little harder to handle for sure, just just as they are any at any age. But uh, it was fun, man. I really enjoyed it. And then by the time that I got to, like, middle school, high school, um, obviously we stopped being little kids. You know, everybody started to mature a little bit. I did not mature as quickly. Um, I knew how to wrestle better than every everybody that I was competing against in Alabama, I would say. Um, but I was just, dude, I was I was a little boy, you know. And uh, and wrestling wrestling got pretty tough there for a minute. I I thought when I was like 16 that I was gonna quit, and uh, yeah, just kept you know kept dugging it out. Wound up winning state in high school my sophomore year. Um, got second my freshman year. Lost to a returning state champion my second year. Um, sorry, my sophomore year, one state at the one thirty pound weight class, and then uh, yeah, my junior year, uh, just kind of got complacent, you know. Um, after winning a couple, you know, winning a little bit, I was like, oh yeah, well I guess I'm just gonna keep winning. I don't have to train. These guys aren't any good, and uh, wound up getting third the next season, um, and that hurt my feelings real bad. Did not like that. Uh, and then my senior year, I really got serious about wrestling, um, a lot more than I ever had before. And, uh, yeah, I did very well. Won my state, uh, one state my senior year, won the most outstanding wrestler award for the state of Alabama and uh, in the 6A division and all that kind of stuff. So definitely finished off my, my Alabama wrestling career well. And then, uh, yeah, went and wrestled in college for about a year and a half. Uh, 
went to Newberry College. It's a little Division uh, two school in South Carolina. I followed my older brother Jacob there. And uh, I enjoyed wrestling. Um, I did not enjoy being a student athlete near mm-hmm. as much, you know. Um, the workload of wrestling was even way more intense than I was used to in high school. And then, of course, the college workload was a lot more than, than high school. And being so far away from home and stuff like that, I just in, in the structure of the wrestling program, they didn't really champion us being students. They were like, hey, yeah, you came here to wrestle, so like, just you know, do that. And, uh, yeah, I just didn't enjoy it very much. But while I was there, I got to know a guy by the name of Cody Garbrandt, who was a UFC champion. And at the time, I thought that he was, like, kind of, you know, I was like, man, this guy's kind of dumb. Like, he wants to fight people. He's, you know, he, he must be an idiot. Like, he doesn't want to use his brain or whatever. And he was uh, he was talking about just not being able to make money in wrestling. I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess you're kind of right about that, but you're a dumbass. Like nobody's gonna, <laughs> nobody really wants to hear what you have to say about it. You got a bunch of tattoos and shit. Like it was just you know. So and at the time I was like helping my man. He, he was a he was a pretty good little buddy of mine at the time. Um, I was like helping him write his paper so that he could stay academically eligible to wrestle. And so I was like, yeah, man, I'm not gonna take advice from this guy. Like you know. And uh, shortly after, man, finished up uh, wrestling in college, went back home, and just started getting a little fat, a little out of shape. And, uh, yeah, dude, I got drugged by my friend Ethan Melisano to jiu-jitsu practice in a garage in Southside, Alabama at this dude's house. And it was very, you know, informal. There wasn't there wasn't some like really high level really well-known guy there it was just like some bros some gadsden bros just jitsing down in the garage getting after it and it was uh it was an interesting way to begin uh a mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu career for sure but yeah it was a good time man uh i, I definitely got started doing jiu-jitsu very reluctantly if i, I jokingly tell the story that my buddy ethan just like everybody that does jujitsu, like wouldn't shut up about it. You know, I was at, we were, you know, out partying and stuff like that. I'm trying to talk to girls. My dude's like, yeah, dude, jujitsu, jujitsu. And I'm like, hey, shut up. Like, dude, we're trying to talk to these women right now. Like, I ain't got time to talk to you about ground karate or whatever the hell we're talking about. And so finally I was like, all right, dude, like, I'll teach you guys about wrestling tomorrow. I'll go tomorrow. I'll teach you guys about wrestling. And like, we don't have to hear about jujitsu anymore. And, uh, yeah, just went and obviously anybody that's ever trained jits, they know that I got thrashed. I got destroyed by people smaller than me, younger than me, people that had never wrestled before, only like wrestled a year. Um, in particular, there was one kid, a deaf guy named Taylor Collette, um, who became a really good friend of mine um, later, way, way later. Um, dude, he couldn't speak. You know, I had always heard like deaf and dumb, so my, my first impression of this cat um, you know, with me being 19 years old and an asshole, I was like, oh, this guy's like, he can't hear, so he's like stupid and stuff like that. And then he started choking me out, flying, triangling me and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, well, you can like, he's got to be able to like put some type of like decent thought process together if he's <laughs> saucing me up. Like, and uh, yeah, man, and that, that story continues. He, that guy changed my life and made me a way better person and, and humbled me completely. Um, way past just what he did in jiu-jitsu the first day. But, uh, yeah, I got my, my mixed martial arts career started pretty pretty humbly in a garage, man. And then later on moved to, to bigger and, and better things, training at Spartan Fitness. Um, I guess I had a seven-year, you know, MMA career. Uh, and, yeah, 
It was a fun while lasted, man. But you know. so Cody Garbrandt was the first guy that you heard. You know, you meet Cody in college. He's a freshman. You guys are both freshmen, and he was the first guy that kind of supposedly he had already been training some boxing, right? Yeah. Prior so, to that, so it was really funny. My dad, my dad actually grew up boxing, and he never really forced us to try and do it. Every once in a while, he would try and teach us how to throw a punch. But my dad never spoke to me about competing in boxing or, or really like learning it, um, especially at the level that we were learning wrestling. And uh, so I'd, I'd been around fighting. I had watched some fighting. I remember watching like the early Iron Man fights and King of the Cage fights and stuff like that. They were on pay-per-view when I was a little kid. Um, but he was the first person that, that planted the idea like, hey, you could stop wrestling and start competing in other combat sports and make a name or make some money for yourself. Mm. And I didn't, especially at the point that he was sitting in the bro call hall of you know, Newberry College, I wasn't listening to a word he was saying. I heard everything he said, didn't listen to any of it. And uh, he wound up leaving pretty early. And you know, in, in my opinion, he left because he was like, hey, I'm gonna go make some money now. I'm not gonna sit here and waste my time wrestling but wrestling was really tough and and at the point that he left I was like oh well yeah tough fighter dude like couldn't handle this I had you know fast forward several years like now this dude's making tons of money you know prize fighting so he was he was definitely a little smarter than I gave him credit for um but shortly after that my brother did a uh, a tough man competition in Cleveland Alabama at this like motocross track in the dirt and shit like that so uh, I saw him do that, and I, you know, me and my brother are super competitive, and my younger brother as well, Marcus. Um, I just figured that I was gonna have to hear it forever if I didn't try an MMA fight. You know, like at Thanksgiving, he's about, you know, have to hear about it. You know, oh, you're too big of a pussy to, to fight somebody. Okay, so I, I was just gonna try it and hang it up and be done with it. And I'll be damned, man. Like you beat one person, and they talk you into fighting another person, and talk you into fighting another person, and then another person, and. All of a sudden, you're like calling yourself an MMA fighter, and then, you know, I lost a, a fight, and I was like, oh, well, now I'm gonna get serious about this, and then uh, I look up, and it's like, damn, this is what I'm gonna do with my life. Uh, I thought I was gonna play third base for the Atlanta Braves, but yeah, it just wound up going a different direction, and I totally ran with it. Um, really got into to you know Muay Thai and boxing; those were were my favorites. Muay Thai specifically is my favorite combat sport to to study. Hmm. Um, I really just like, yeah, there's nothing. I love choking people, you know, no touch ducking people in wrestling. That's a lot of fun. But if you've ever like need a person <laughs> and heard the, the, the noise that they make or, you know, just like throwing elbows and stuff like that, it's, it's a, it's a rough game, you know, it's not for everybody, but it's, it, you know, I grew up with my older brother beating my ass literally as a young kid. So when it came time for me to fight somebody my size, I was like, this is cool. This is actually kind of fun you know and uh i was totally into it man and uh, especially uh the idea that i could do that and possibly make money like make a lot of money you know uh yeah i was way into it while it lasted but um as you know uh, i had a run with like post-concussion syndrome and stuff like that that really made me uh reshuffle the deck realign my priorities and uh yeah man now i'm, I'm gonna stick to jujitsu just because, uh, yeah, I have a six-year-old son, and I would prefer to just make sure that I always remember his name yeah. and things like that, you know, <laughs> even though it's it's a, the funnest game to play. You know, I, I love adding strikes into it, you know, the, the pure 
you know, I, I don't know. I guess everybody watched like kung fu movies growing up and stuff like that, and you see Bruce Lee ripping people's heads, you know, throats oh, yeah. out and chopping their neck in half. So you kind of feel a little bit like that, I guess, when you're doing stand-up martial arts. But you know, jujitsu to me is the is the the one that has the the most longevity to it and and serves its purpose for training and like mental health and stuff like that. And so right now, jujitsu is what I, what I love doing the most. Definitely, man, and I couldn't agree more with the, those sentiments. And you started with some Gatston Bros and yeah. in a garage, you know, getting tapped by your buddy Taylor. Um, and when did you go to like Straight Boss Gym? Like, how long did it take you to find Straight Boss Gym? And then, like, how long were you there? And uh, were they kind of the people that really taught you to love stand up? Yeah. So I remember uh, just to, to give the whole backstory. I trained with a, a guy named Tyler Barber, who was like my training partner. Um, even though I guess most people would have considered him our coach, but we we trained together. He you know he taught me a little bit about jujitsu. I was teaching him about wrestling. Neither one of us, especially back then, knew anything about stand up fighting. And uh, he got a name for himself for backing out of fights, man. I, you know he would show up. He would even take the Facebook pictures, the profile pictures, and all that kind of stuff. And then just like the next day at the weigh in, <laughs> after the weigh ins, he would just be like, my shoulder hurts and. Just different things, like the craziest, you know. I mean, what really happened is, and there's nothing wrong with this, like he just got performance anxiety. He would just get super nervous about going out there, putting it all on the line, and like, what if he lost? Like, would his wife think of him the same? Like, where his little daughter is going to, you know, just, he would put all this extra pressure on himself, and uh, and he wasn't able to enjoy it, which I totally understand. I, I've It's been both ways for me at different times. But, uh, but yeah, after he... Uh, he had a, he had backed out out of a couple of different fights, and then at one point, I talked him into fighting a, a pretty pretty solid prospect. At one point, uh, his name was Kobe Wall. I don't know if he's still fighting or not, but he was out of Georgia, and everybody considered Kobe to be a, a very respectable fighter. And I talked the promoter into it. I was like, dude, you got to let him fight Kobe. If you fight somebody that's on his level, like he'll totally do it. He's not gonna back out. I'll be damned. Made a fool of me backed out of the fight and then immediately I was like all right bro me and me and Ethan you know my buddy at the time that got me into it I was like yeah we got to go do something better for ourselves like if we're going to take this seriously like we got to put our personal relationship with this guy aside and you know decide what's going to be best for our future so uh, at that point I had fought a guy named Omar Johnson that used to coach and train at Spartan Fitness um, he's down in, in Mobile now I believe still fighting um, but yeah Omar and I had gained each other's respect. We had a hell of a, an MMA fight. It's out there on YouTube if you want to check it out on Strike Cards page. But uh, yeah, we fought, gained each other's respect. Always tipped my hat when I saw him. And I remember walking outside of the building, like in a in somewhat of a fit of rage after my dude had backed out of the fight. I was like, I can't believe this shit. And uh, so. Walked outside. There's Omar Johnson. I'm like Omar Johnson, where do you train, bro? Like, what? When are you training? I'm trying to train with you. What's up? And uh, and he told me he's like, man, I don't know if you know. To be honest, you know, the conversation we had was about money. I was like, how much is it to train there? He was like, man, to be honest, if you were gonna come through, I don't know that Chris would charge you or not. You know, because obviously he looks at you as a good training partner for me and stuff. He was like, you could probably just slide through and at least try it out and see how you liked it. Um, and when I got there, it was just one of those things where, uh, first of all, I saw all the soccer moms in there hitting pads, and I was like, oh, shit, these people know what they're really, really doing. Like, the worst person in here 
is way better than me by far. And it really made me sad because, like, in the first class, they were just, like, talking about basic, uh, you know, mitt holding technique and, like, do's and don'ts. And, you know, I was just, like, run- every time they would say, like, this, the next point about what to do, I would be like, oh, that's the opposite of what I was teaching people at the last place that I trained, like, damn, I've, I made an ass of myself. And so I just totally changed my, my mentality to where I thought that I was, like, getting ready to go to the UFC. I was like, oh, shit, I've got years and years of knowledge that I've got to download as soon as possible. So was, I guess by this time I'm 21, 22 years old. And, uh, yeah, so me and Ethan started driving from Glencoe, Alabama, an hour and 15 minutes one way with zero traffic. Um, to make classes three nights a week down at Spartan and then eventually wind up moving down there. I like cut grass and stuff like that just to keep my head above water so that I could make it to training. Um, eventually, um, eventually Chris wound up giving me a job, man. They, they moved from the Hoover location that they had um, and moved out to Homewood and they needed help just, you know, I'd had a bunch of different odd jobs, you know, done all kinds of different carpentry work and demolition work and just helping my uncle with the electrical trade and just a bunch of different little things and so anything that uh, my buddy named Tony Ray he's the one that, that's responsible for building the gyms at Spartan Fitness if you ever see how nice their things look Tony Ray Carroll is the man on the on the scene but he uh, helped him piece the gym together I like stopped showing up to my regular grass cutting job and like leaving I mean to be honest I, I kind of felt bad about it later uh, a friend of mine, a family friend of mine, I was just like, leave him at work. I'd be like, hey, dude, I can't come into work today. Sorry, you're going to have to do everything because I've got to go and help this person at this gym that I just met, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Chris was down with that. He saw the that I was super down for the cause and was helpful and useful. And, uh, yeah, he wanted me to start teaching wrestling. So I started teaching some wrestling. That turned into me teaching some some kids jujitsu classes, and then you know at different points in times, other coaches would come and go. Our strength conditioning coach would leave, and he would be like, "I need somebody to teach strength conditioning." And you know it was funny because like Eric Anders had been training with us at that point, and he's all you know went to the Alabama strength conditioning program. My dude knows what he's doing. If you've ever seen him, he's no stranger to the weight pile. Um, but I was just always the guy that I was like, dude, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Like, you're going to pay me to do things. Like, I'll do all of that. And so I wound up coaching conditioning classes and getting some on-the-job experience. Uh, wound up teaching striking classes after a little while once Chris felt comfortable with it. And I was just kind of the center fielder there for a little while. Like, hey, man, this person can't come in, so I need you to teach this jiu-jitsu class or oh you're going to coach all the wrestling classes or hey now I want you to coach the kids classes and then fill in in between and uh, I really started taking to doing sales and just different things like that anything that I could do to stay in the gym and even if I wasn't getting like physical reps at training I was getting mental reps coaching people and I just really uh, submerged myself in that for for several years I mean for seven years I'm pretty sure is the number but uh, yeah and I just consumed as many different martial arts as I could uh, at the end of it once especially the the, the point that Chris um, that Chris was taking me to the UFC fights with Eric and Walt um, I just got to train at a bunch of different places and meet some really really cool people and I mean the experience that I had at SBG um, specifically Spartan Fitness um, there in Birmingham, man. I don't know that there are many other people that will ever have a martial experience you know, like it. It was really, really cool. 
Um, even though I'm not competing in MMA, like, yeah, I mean, that's where I really cut my teeth and, and kind of, in my opinion, changed myself from being a wrestler that trained some jujitsu into like a, a true martial artist and really started to become a student of all the different games and, you know, decide what I wanted to, if I was going to teach people classes and stuff like that, was I going to teach self-defense or was I just going to teach like sport jujitsu or was I going to teach, uh, you know, right next to essentially a karate class for fitness or something like that you know what was what was going to be you know the direction that I took that's when I would say that my martial arts journey really started to take some some form and uh and kind of turn into what it is today that eventually has led me to running a, a mixed martial arts gym with my brother right there in downtown Birmingham and man, that's a really fascinating story. And I think that there's a lot of similarities between a lot of other high level martial artists is a lot of guys come in and they expect to be given things, but really it's the guys that just volunteer and that are there from yeah. day one and just keep showing up and more so than just showing up to class, especially if you want to get into the business. Yeah. I mean, how important you are to Chris yeah. and again, Chris was to your progress, but it's funny because I've heard multiple guys, Eric Anders says the same thing, like he's a martial artist down there. Yeah. You know, I know Walt, since he's joined your joined the team down there at Straight, uh, Straight Blast, he's becoming more of a martial artist. What oh, is it that Chris crazy. does that makes you want to be a martial artist? Because it seems like that's the, you guys aren't MMA fighters, you guys are martial yeah. artists. Um, I would say that he really promotes the idea that like, it's part of your lifestyle, it's part of who you are. He really instills in us that like, even if you stop fighting and you start working a desk job or something like that, whatever you decide to do with your life, if you're going to become a, a parent, you're still going to be a martial artist. You're still going to train. And without training, um, you know, what would you be? You know, how would you handle problems? How would you deal with your stresses in life and things like that? Um, and I think that just promoting that constant uh, training schedule, you really just kind of, you know, disappear from other other avenues of life you know I, I stopped going out and drinking and being out at bars and stuff like that because I was always training or recovering to train um, and I, I encourage people to this day if you're if right now if you're in the state of Alabama or in the southeast and you're looking for a place to really maximize your potential as an MMA fighter I really think that you're fooling yourself if you if you're not doing it there um, and that's you know to to say what I said about training in Gadsden, I had to put my personal relationship aside and make the decision for my future to and to invest in myself. And it was hard leaving my gym. It was hard, you know, you know, the it rustled, rustled some feathers, and of course I had to deal with people like, "Oh, you left, you left Gadsden MMA. How, how, you were you were part of their part of their squad there, and all that kind of stuff." But it was just a. a a bigger decision that I had to make for myself, you know, and I've seen guys like Walt do that. And I mean, Walt was already fighting in the UFC by the time that he came. And, and I, I love Walt. Walt's my, Walt's my dude. I can't wait for him to, to fight here in a couple of weeks. Best of luck to him. But um, when he came to Spartan Fitness, immediately it was crazy how quick, uh, quickly he was developing, at, you know, his fight IQ, um, just the strategies. Um, when you're talking about, you know, Boxing can get really, really complicated, or you can make it really simple. You know, if you're a redneck and you're fighting in the back, in your backyard, it's like, yeah, you got a left punch and a right punch. You know, but then you start breaking it down in an actual striking system, and 
talking about not just the offensive side of it, but the defensive side of it, the, the countering uh, aspect of fighting and, and stand up and not just with my hands, but can I do that with my feet when I kick? Can I do that with knees and elbows? Um, yeah, it's really just that it comes out of this, man. Chris Chris is experienced and knows exactly what he's talking about. Even after he finished fighting, he sought out um, more knowledge from different people and has really developed a, uh, a really sound MMA uh, system that is not based on attributes. You know, like Chris always talks about, uh, like Roy Jones Jr. being probably the, the greatest boxer of all time, one of his favorites. And that being because when he was young and quick and, and could react properly, um, just made fools of people. Nobody could touch him. And like wasn't even close. You know, he got a little older, started to slow down. Um, his attributes started to fade. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, he looks like a normal person. A few fights later, he, he looks like a bum. You know, it's sad. It's, it's almost, not that it's sad. I'm a, I feel you, dude. Go out on your shield. Fight as long as you want to fight. I'm with it. I wish I could keep fighting. But, um yeah, dude, once your attributes go, you really figure out what, you, what you're working with, you know. And so I'd say that they focus on a non-attribute-based game. Mm. And so you got guys like, uh, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I hate to drop names because then people feel, you know, feel like I'm, I'm saying something sideways about them. But like a guy like Marcel Stamps, probably the most athletic dude that's ever graced a mat in the state of Alabama. Um, and if he knew... If he had the fighting IQ of of some of the training that he would receive at like Spartan Fitness versus maybe other gyms that he's that he's toured around to and stuff like that, I don't even think it'd be even close. You know, if you look at that guy standing next to me and you consider that like me and him might have had a close fight or something even to the sort of it's it's crazy because he's so much more athletic than I ever would be. Um, but. For me personally, a reason that I did well and you know at least decent in MMA is because I did become a student of the game and started to think of it like a quarterback instead of like a defensive tackle. You know, I think a lot of guys look at MMA and it's like defense, just go get the ball, tackle them, hurt them, and it's like, dude, that's not really what's going on. If you look at the highest level guys, you know, there's there's tricks and traps and um, and. The same way that, that Brandon, you know, n doesn't necessarily just like talk about like, all right, this is a Kimura grip and this is how I turn their arm backwards. He's like, well, this is how you're going to get here. This is how you set it up. This is how that person's going to react. That's the difference in like what Chris is teaching at Spartan Fitness mm -hmm. versus what other coaches are like, hey, man, this is a jab. Hey, this is a cross. This is a hook. This is a knee. This is a kick. Um, very few of those people that can identify those weapons individually can tell you like how to use them, when to use them, why to use them, and you know if you, I, any person just walking around doesn't know shit about fighting. So if you can tell them offensive things like this is how you throw a jab, this is how you throw a cross, this is how you throw a kick, you can fascinate those people a lot of them because immediately. It's like in jiu-jitsu when you first start. What's the difference in the first day when you roll a purple belt or a black belt? You have no idea. It, it's it's you can't measure it so in the same sense people don't know anything about stand-up fighting so when they get into fighting it's like oh well, this person in the real spectrum of things probably has a blue belt or purple belt understanding but since you know nothing it's like they blew your mind but there's levels to the game and and especially chris man he's very very high level um specifically mma like if you just took him to the boxing scene 
there's probably guys that are better boxing coaches. If you took them just to Muay Thai scene, like maybe there's a guy that's a better Muay Thai coach. If you took them to a jiu-jitsu scene, maybe there's a guy that's a better jiu-jitsu coach. If you took them to a wrestling tournament, maybe there's a guy that's a better wrestling coach. But there are zero people, in my opinion, that know how to play all of those games together. And that's especially the, the modern era of UFC fighters, one championships and all that. These guys are mixed martial artists. Not to say that you don't see every once in a while a Ryan Hall, a Damian Maya, guys like that. But what you know, uh, you know, even you know, I hate to even say like Stylebender because as good at kickboxing as he is, if you think that my man hasn't at least trained some some wrestling and stuff like that, um, yeah, it's just what the next generation is. It's crazy to me what ten years ago MMA looked like. In ten more years, it, it's it's just gonna be absolutely bonkers what some of these guys are capable of doing these kids that are out here it just it blows my mind to see what some of them can do the same way that like you know i guess who is it like the meow brothers like everybody was fascinated with them well now they're like growing up and like they're they're still they're real players in the game and in another 10 years or five or 10 years when some of these guys maybe like start to fade a little bit get a little bit older they're they're going to continue to look fantastic you know um, and that's the that's what you're gonna see in, in MMA, man. Just guys that can box, they can wrestle, they can play jujitsu, they can kickbox. They they've got nasty submissions. They've got nasty submission defense. And you know, as a as a retired athlete, that's comforting because at least I you know I'll have some nice entertainment. But as a competitor, it's like damn, you got to fight all these crazy, these little these little savages that are out there. You know, like at the gym the other day, I had a guy coming to me his son just got drafted to the new york jets okay you know so i mean like all right kudos dad like you're straight don't have to worry about anything um but he came to us because he's like i have a six-year-old that that wants to be an mma fighter and i want him to be an mma fighter i was like dude this is what i would do i would give him a set of golf clubs you know um i think that it's cool that people want to get their kid into mma that early and the product of people that do that successfully is it will be amazing to see you know but um the sport has definitely changed so much from when i got into it at age 19 now almost 10 not even 10 years later you've got six-year-olds chomping at the bit to get started at it it's uh i think it's only gonna just get crazier and crazier for for the next few years man i guess forever in theory but over the next few years you're gonna definitely see some more evolution in the sport that as fans, it's 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 going to be a lot of fun to watch. Man, it, dude, you got me excited just saying that, dude. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I think that we're going to be really in every combat sport. We're all going to be witnessing a time in history that oh, yeah. it, you just can't be matched when it comes to fighting. But your last fight, you know, you kind of mentioned it earlier. You, you take a really bad knockout. You get the post concussion syndrome. What was that like? What was it like um, right after it happened? And what were some of the symptoms of that? So immediately after the fight, to be honest, uh, I was really okay. I got back to training, and after getting back to training is when I started to notice, like, hey, something's not right. Mm -hmm. I think that a a big factor in my problem was how much, excuse me, how much weight I cut. Mm. Like for the PGF, we were walking around like one ninety five. Um, and when I was cutting down to 155, that was a, a hell of a cut. Like, I would have to get down. Yeah, to how would you do that? Um, I would die down to about 172 pounds. Um, every once in a while on a good day, I'd finish a, a practice at like 168, 169 or something like that. But then um, I would just have to, like, cycle out 
different phases of eating to like nurse myself to a diet to where I could essentially shrink my body and like that's what I would do differently now is I would just like instead of trying to just shred a bunch of body fat I might do that but I would just like lift more and just try and fight at 70. The tough part about MMA is is like your build is a huge part of it and like at 5'11 I'm just not really the size that a lot of uh, 170 pound fighters were so I decided to make that cut and in making that cut dehydrating your body um, it's just a crazy process to throw throw your, your body and your brain through especially and then receive head trauma. And then a lot of times if you get into a hell of a fight, whether you win and they're happy beers or you lose and they're sad beers, you go and you drink and you celebrate and stuff like that. So you go from this super uh, intense dehydration process, then rehydration process, and then once again dehydration process the next night when you're having beers with the boys or whatever. And I think that that roller coaster ride for your body was a big factor. And then for me personally, after dieting down to 155 pounds, as soon as I wasn't, you know, uh, having to answer to a weight class, I would be drinking and eating whatever, you know, and not consuming any water at all. Um, so like for the next generation of people coming up that, that ask me to coach them, we're going to have like a couple of strict guidelines on that. Like, all right, dude, like you want to cut weight? That's cool. You are going to cut weight. We're going to do it exactly this way so that you don't wind up, you know, you don't wind up putting your brain through this crazy. Cause the thing is like you dehydrate all the water out of your body, like your brain, some like it's going to come out of your muscles first, but eventually it comes out of your organs. And then after you pull so much water out of your body, like your brain is absolutely affected. Um, anybody who says that that's not true, then like maybe they cut five pounds or something. But like you cut like twenty pounds, twenty five pounds. Like it's just, it's science, man. You know, that's yeah. just how that's just how it goes. And then when you just like immediately start pounding water and everything like that, your brain doesn't have the ability to really recover in just twenty four hours. Like your muscles feel like ah, oh, they feel better, <laughs> you know, like they, but they don't feel one hundred percent. So then, like, your brain on top of that, you go get into a war after you've dehydrated yourself like that. That's, like, one of the biggest fundamental mistakes that I think that people are making right now, cutting weight, that I hope that other people don't make for themselves. And then, especially after a fight, just understanding that you don't have to get right back to sparring, especially after a loss. Dude, there's losing in jiu-jitsu sucks, okay? Losing a public MMA fight that you invited all of your friends and family to, it's the worst, bro. Like, I can't stand to lose in checkers, and you're going to talk about an ass-whooping contest? Worst thing ever, bro. So I immediately, you know, was trying to get back to training, trying to get back to it, get this W back, you know, head, get things headed back in the right direction. Um, and I started sparring probably two or three weeks after I lost my last fight. And in my last fight, uh, I got elbowed right behind the ear, I, like dropped down to my knee, man. Uh, you know, I, I didn't actually get like I didn't get knocked out or anything, um, but the referee stepped in pretty quickly. Especially if we're talking about professional bouts, man. You know that it is what it is. Pro tip, kids: don't leave it up to the ref. Don't ever put yourself in a bad position, and you won't have to worry about that type of stuff. But I got dropped, and the ref stepped in and finished. Uh, you know, I was like wrestling back up to a single leg. I fought. That's what it looks like in the video, and I look back at it, but he, like, knocked me back down to the ground, and then I was just like, oh, that's over, and then, 
yeah, I got super, super upset, like I said, about the uh, the stoppage. Who knows? Maybe that dude would have just hit me in the head a couple more times and I'm really knocked out. But MMA fighters, that's how they'd rather go out, you know. So that was a hard pill to swallow. I got back to training and I just noticed that uh, at nighttime, I like go back, go back home, sit down, try and chill, play some like video games, watch some Netflix or something. And especially when I was like trying to play video games, I noticed that the letters on the TV were like blurry. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I just need to drink some more water and, you know, oh, you know, this or that. And tried to just, you know, not make a big deal of it. Um, I started to think like, maybe, man, maybe I've got like a little eye infection, like a, no, you know, a nasal infection and my eyes are just like puffy or something. And eventually I was like, hey, something's wrong. Like my vision is not doing what it's supposed to. I started getting like technicolor vision just a little bit. And so I stopped sparring. I was like, I'm going to hang out for a minute, see how it goes. Um, and then later on, I noticed that I would get not like these beaming headaches, but just I would get super spacey whenever there would be loud noises around. So at the gym, I'm back here teaching my fundamentals boxing class or whatever, and we've got these sick beats going, <clears throat> and uh, my classroom was like right there by the stereo, and like, I noticed a couple of times that my like my eyes would get just like super dilated and I would just get like overstimulated with the loud noise and just trying to, to be up for coaching and have good energy and uh, I was just like dude something something is seriously wrong then I noticed that like sunlight was bothering my eyes and so I went and got my eyes checked out uh, went and saw the ophthalmologist and they were pretty much like, yeah, no, your eyes work absolutely fine, but you had to have like a little bit of astigmatism, just a little brush of it. And I was like, all right, so brain problems, you know, that has to be it. Because uh, I figured like maybe if I had, you know, ruptured, you know, something in my eye or something, it would just, you know, we could have it fixed and everything would be okay. Um, but then they were like, uh, actually you have pretty healthy eyeballs they're working fantastically so I was like damn that's that's not the news that I was hoping to get um and so I waited around a minute I got a cat scan here an MRI here and uh man it at one point my symptoms just started to really get the best of me I was having balance issues um like I said just my vision issues were getting uh, more and more intense and I wasn't able to like really control my my thought process and I was getting these bad anxiety you know just anxiety and panic attacks and stuff like that and that's something that I'd never experienced before like I you know I've been wrestling since I remembered things and so for me it was like if you're like nervous or whatever you're just you're just weak you're just mentally weak and uh so I just never entertained that I was having panic attacks and you know I play guitar and stuff like that and like write music that was like the only thing that I could do to kind of calm down ever um, but even then, there was just always this underlying like pressure and, and anxiety um, inside myself that I that I wasn't comfortable with. So I kept trying to find some answers. Eventually, um, really didn't get any of the answers that I wanted. Um, eventually, I wound up going and seeing a guy named Dustin Clary. Um, it's, uh, it's a physical rehab center. No, I forget what the physical balance center. I think is what it's called. Um, but they work with like, they're like an inner ear specialist. Um, they have like stroke victims and people like that, that they, they help rehab and, and retrain pathways in their brain to, so they can have a decent quality of life because, you know, forget training. Like I, I was, you know, not, you know, not that this is, you know, 
maybe I shouldn't say this on your show, but yeah, I wasn't thinking about living very much. I didn't like it. I was not having a good time. My quality of life was super low. I was freaking out all the time, and I wasn't able to make good decisions. You know, I felt like I wasn't making good decisions, and it just took my confidence away from me in so many different things um, that were really, really, really tough to deal with, especially for me since I had always been told at least that I was a super mentally tough individual from wrestling training you know jujitsu mma and all that kind of stuff and now all of a sudden my mind was you know a, a wreck so wound up doing a bunch of these like different uh tests and they they started to let me know that i was having probably having anxiety because my eyes had a lag to them so specifically when my eyes would look from the left side to the right side that like my my brain's calculation of the sync between my head moving and my eyes moving, how I can like move my eyes to you, but my head can stay in the same spot, mm -hmm. or I can move my head and my eyes at the same time, and those that's a little more of a natural movement. Um, when I was moving in that way, my eyes with my head, um, I was just having a little bit of lag, like you know pulling up past the stop sign just a little bit. Like I tried to stop at the stop sign, but I just oh, my, the bumper went a little too far, you know. Um, and not being able to focus on things, um, that was giving me anxiety. So they started giving me these balance exercises, one-footed exercises. Just I literally had to retrain. I mean, the real word is probably like recalibrate my body's understanding of balance and my eyes' um, ability to to be in time with my movements. So they had me like reading while I was shaking my head no. You know, like, for instance, like, if somebody's, like, doesn't understand what I'm saying they, that's listening, they can, like, pull out their phone and, like, right here, if I pull this up, you see these words down here. And, like, if you're just sitting there and you, like, shake your head no, you can read those words. And then, but if I start shaking my phone, like, you can't read the words. Yeah. Okay. So, so what was happening is that when I would shake my head and the phone was still, it looked like somebody was shaking the phone. And I gotcha. So my, you know, in other words, to put it simply, I had scattered, you know, scrambled my eggs a little bit, <laughs> is what is the way that I think about it. So they gave me some eye exercises, balance exercises, and stuff like that. And slowly but surely, I started to gain more confidence in my ability. You know, I wasn't getting off balance when I was walking around. And just between me and you, I definitely at one point got on. Uh, online, I was like googling my symptoms, and I was like, I definitely have brain cancer. I'm gonna live for three months. I just couldn't convince myself that I was going to be here much longer. Um, I wasn't able to train. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, the world shut down for the COVID. We were all going to die of COVID during all this. So I was just freaking out all the time. It was the worst, definitely the, the hardest time of my life for sure. But like I said, I was able to nurse myself back to where I could just like read things better. Um, was able to calm down just a little bit. But I wasn't able to have that that outlet for training that I'd had since you know starting wrestling as a little kid. Because I mean, I the most time that I spent off of a mat between uh, college wrestling and getting into jujitsu and and now we're talking about maybe two or three months tops, like once or twice. You know, so it's not like I oh yeah I wrestled, but then I I went and worked behind a desk for seven years and then got into jujitsu. No, dude, we're talking about like. A couple of vacations time and then you know right back to it so um, 
and I just don't feel comfortable if I'm not training and I'm not on a mat and like cutting up with my brothers and stuff like that. So it was a real struggle for me to not just to, to be able to train. And I remember trying to trying to get myself back to it. I was trying to like punch the bags, but even just like the ricochet of making good contact with a bag would kind of shake me up. Jumping rope shook me up. Um, dude, it was it was just so bad. I tried to do a couple forward rolls in the in the sad uh, time where we were doing Zoom classes during the. Uh, I had to do like a forward roll for the kids, and I remember getting up and like I just vis I just noticed that like visibly my balance was just way off from like where the the camera was. I was like, dude, something is super not cool right now. Something's super wrong, and uh, kept on with the Zoom class. Finished it like a G, but like underlying like dude i'm freaking out about this stuff and so those guys man they really helped me get back on the mat um and just like calm myself down to where i could get back on the mat and then i started coming up and training i trained a couple times during the quarantine up here with uh with brandon and you guys and brandon made me understand that like even though maybe i'd always been that dude especially at an mma gym um i was always kind of like our jujitsu representation at an mma gym and uh all of a sudden, I couldn't hang with the best guys or anybody. Like, I couldn't roll, seriously. I, I, I would roll for three minutes, and then my head would just be ringing and stuff like that. Or if, like, you know, somebody, like, drilled a choke on me a couple times, my vision would go back technicolor, and then it would, you know, it would start this whole cycle back over again. And, uh, yeah, so I eventually just started training at a snail's pace, man. Like, it was especially considered, you know, how I used to train. Like, it was hardcore, bro. Like, I'm trying to trying to go to the death every single roll. And so now I'm like, in my mind, I thought I was just like messing around. But it was therapeutic to just be back on the mat, even though I didn't feel like my jiu-jitsu game was growing. It didn't really matter because I was able to just like stay sane. Um, and so I slowly but surely started rolling just a little bit more, man. Every single time that I would come and train, I would put just a little more intensity in it. I would do one extra roll, or maybe I would just do my first roll, actual live roll. I had to, you know, for the first time ever, I'd always prided myself on, like, I'll roll with anybody. Like, dude, I'll roll with a 400-pound person. Oh, that white belt that nobody wants to roll with? Cool, I'll roll with them. Oh, that black belt that nobody wants to roll with them? Oh, cool, I'll roll with them. That had just always been me. And uh, I had to get really, really strict about who I would train with. And then at the same time, me and my brother started... Uh, started working together and started training together and losing to him is not an option so like that became like this whole other wrinkle in the story is like i'm trying to nurse myself back to health but me and my brother are fighting for for pride because he's a blue belt at this point and i'm a brown belt and uh he's just gotten into jiu-jitsu and like he whooped my ass my whole life so it's like dude, you're not you're not coming into jiu-jitsu and, and and messing me up bro it's just not going like that Except, like, you know, especially considered the state that I was in and, and how big and strong and athletic and a, and, a, and a gamer my brother is, I really couldn't keep up. And between, like, that and the PGF season, you know, I, I really kind of underestimated what the PGF season was going to be. Um, between, like, trying to keep up with my brother and trying to get ready for the PGF, I, I really just kind of went out on a limb and was like, dude, I'm just going to make this happen. Like, my symptoms are getting this much better I'm still, a, I'm not out of the woods, but like I'm okay enough that I think that I can go out here and like at least beat some of these dudes. And um, so once we started the PGF, I was just like, dude, I just got to try and finish the season because growing up wrestling, I knew 
maybe these other guys didn't know as, as well as I did. I was like, this season is going to be a grind, like mentally, physically, like, and especially because it's jujitsu. Like, dude, you're going to get your, your, you know, your elbow popped. Like, Cody Floyd, my first match of the season, black belt from over Mississippi. He like about ripped my elbow off the very first match. My my elbow hurt me for, for six or seven weeks. You know. Um, just the mental grind of it, if you're having to cut weight, things like that, just all those things. I knew that that was going to be a real challenge. So when the PGF started, you know, I, me being a dumbass and a, and, a, and a competitor, you know, serious about it, I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to go in there and try and beat these guys. But I knew that, like, at the end of the day, probably wasn't going to be able to do it because, like, I couldn't do a forward roll, <laughs> you know, like, but I was going to, you know, hell, I was going to try. So I, I, I definitely did, man. The whole season was – was a lot of fun it was a huge challenge and uh by the end of it man i i'd found my stride i'd gotten really comfortable training again not as comfortable as i would like but you know just the same way that you hear about like guys like elijah they had a shoulder they couldn't train um yeah i just kind of equated that to you know anybody else's problem mine just happened to be a mental problem that i was coming off of for six eight months instead of something that had been a big factor in the season so it was a it was a big challenge, man, and uh, you know I don't really um, you know especially in my family we don't celebrate silver medals very very often, but just the fact that I'm like training again and challenging myself, um, man, really really something that I never saw happening again there for a little while, especially in some of those darker days. So I'm I'm excited to be here, uh, excited that you know I finished the season, excited how I finished the season. And I don't mean like excited about how I got hill hooked in like point four seconds. <laughs> That's you know, obviously wouldn't prefer not to end the season like that. But um, just to be in the in the the mix with some of those guys and like you know I get to get to grapple Nilo and then the semi uh, quarterfinals and stuff like that. Those were a couple of things that I didn't really think were going to be possible the first week. But then by the last season, it's like, damn, dude, there's a couple of people that think that I might can win this. You know, I've, I felt really good about my progress throughout that. Um, now we just get to see, I guess, what happens next, if I can keep myself healthy and keep myself on the mat and keep developing, man. See if y'all can turn me in one of those filthy leg lockers. You know? <laughs> dude, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, dude, honestly, an absolutely beautifully uh, powerful story. And I think your story, man, could, could really change, like, more, even more importantly than the grappling, like, I, I think you've got a powerful story that can change lives. Yeah. And I'm very open, you know, about Appreciate my struggles that. with anxiety. I was just like you, I remember, because uh, you made a post a couple of days ago um, where you are talking about how you are at a point in your life, were at a point uh, one time where... If somebody talked about mental health, you're like, man, that guy's a pussy. That Dude, guy's yeah. a faggot. You know, yeah. that guy's whatever. This, guy, this guy's going to fucking, he's going to talk about he's sad right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you're dealing yeah. with depression. Like, this, that's yeah. what being a man's about, you yeah. know. Like, I just never never registered to me. Or, like, I hear hear women talk about it and stuff like that. I'm like, well, you're just being a girl about yeah. it. Like, yeah. And now it's like after I've dealt with some of those real struggles, like I want to go back and give those, you know, those people yeah. a hug and just hey, be like, dude, dude I, I, I love you so much. I'm so sorry that yeah. I just – scoffed whenever you were like i'm yeah. having a rough time because i had a, a genuine rough time and it, yeah it's it's, hey, it's, it's very it's uh you know i think because mine started when i was 20 um you know again i felt the same way but pre-20 just like dude i remember a girl um she needed like counseling she needed mm-hmm. uh she had seizures and um but she just needed counseling i remember hearing that she needed it. i remember just thinking like dude that's so pathetic yeah. and 
you know, I, when I started dealing with my own anxiety and started having anxiety attacks, I mean, I went to the hospital. I thought that I was having a heart attack. Dude, yeah, no, listen, that's what, yeah. if you've never had that happen yeah. before, it's because, like, if you've ever thought you were going to die, then maybe yeah. you've had that. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. I, like yeah. I said, I've had one other, sp- like, little spiel in my life where uh, I had, like, uh, some type of hernia in my esophagus, and it was, like, pushing on my heart. So I could like feel my heartbeat, and that made me think I'm having heart attacks. And like I genuinely, I was like kissing my son goodnight, like I love you forever, like yeah. remember me please, even though you're eight months old, like yeah. and and you know I guess until you genuinely believe that you're gonna die, like maybe people don't understand. Yeah. But, but that's what it says. It's not like when people talk about anxiety and they're like I'm nervous. It's what they're really being is like, hey, I feel like I'm going to die. They don't feel like they're just nervous. Like, I've been nervous for a a test or a match or to talk to some girl or whatever, dude. Like, nervous is a different energy than, like, anxiety, panic attack. It's a whole whole new beast. I remember going to the hospital when my buddies drove me. I'm 20 years old. He drove. I was like, dude, you got It's 2 a.m. Dude, you got to take. Like, dude, I'm having a hard. I got to go. And, you know, go there. And the doctor tells me I'm fine. And so I was like. Doctor tells me I'm fine, and I remember just thinking, this dude's an no idiot. Way. Yes, like, this dude's an idiot. And so I did the same thing. I was like, oh, I thought I had brain cancer. You know, so yeah. then I'm thinking I'm going to die. So, dude, your story really resonates with me. And, again, that, one of the things I'm super passionate about is talking about these things. Because I think yeah. guys like us, you know, guys see us like, oh, black belt, MMA fighter. You know, dude, you just killed the PGF. Like, they don't realize. To me, the most courageous thing you can do, way cooler than even doing the PGF winning whatever, is talking about this stuff. Yeah. Like because I think it's there's such a negative stigma attached yeah. to it, man. And it's what what I mean, and I don't know what it is. I don't know. You know, people are talk about what's the way that you were raised and your parents mm-hmm. did that to you. Like, man, I don't know. Like. I don't know if that's what it is or maybe the, the world is just becoming a crazy place and like all these different factors stacked on top of it equal like I don't know what I'm doing here and this is a scary ride where like attached to this rock flying through time and space and like it's just yeah dude what what am I what is a human being like what is my purpose here and all that and just so many of these different things get stacked on top of each other and it's really easy to lose yourself in in the mix of all those things and i feel like once especially you know you get inside of your own head about it 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 almost in some sense like the same way that a placebo pill can have an effect over somebody and Mm -hmm. it can like uh even if there isn't anything that's necessarily really really genuinely wrong with you that can be found on a brain scan or anything like that like it really feels that way once you convince yourself that you're not that you're not okay you know yeah. And it, it's it's such a sensitive thing. It's such it's such an easy thing to tip one way or, or the other, you know. Yeah. And and that's why I think that it's cool that, that people are talking about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's one thing, you know, I struggled with, like, when to talk about it, you know, because, to be honest, when I was going through it, I didn't want to talk about it because I was like, I, I believe, you know, and not giving it energy and, like, man, yeah. I just, you know, I'm not going to buy into this shit and I'm going to overcome it and everything's going to be okay. And after the fact that it's, I mean, not over, I still deal with some of the symptoms that I, you know, the last week of the PGF, I didn't roll because I was trying to get out of those triangle attacks, you know what I'm saying, that my man Elijah had coming for me. Didn't practice leg lock defense, whoops. Um, But yeah, I was like working out of triangles and I just got choked a few times, was doing some extra cardio in between rounds and uh, and, kind of messed myself up right there, you know. Uh, 
it's just dude you just got to be careful man with not just you know with the training but the the people that you let into your life and the people that you let uh, affect your headspace um so many different things that i didn't take seriously before when i was 20 25 i was like yeah dude like you said i think you're just kind of being a, a pussy about it you know yeah. like you're, you're making a big deal about it just don't freak out man yeah. you know like all right e- much easier said than done on on this end of things yeah and i feel like the knowing like when you start getting answers it, it helps so much because again when you me and you were thinking we had brain cancer yeah. like dude I, again i was there i thought i had three months to live when i'm 20 because i just didn't know what was going on like, dude, I got three months to live. Like, I, and I didn't know yeah. who to tell. I didn't know terrifying, who to talk too. about. Yeah, terrifying. terrifying and, too. you know, just because things were weird. I, I had a couple of, of symptoms, and, and, and I've talked about it on the podcast. But, yeah, man, I, I think talking about it and just being open about it is, yeah. like, the best thing that any of us can do. Because I think it also, like, I don't want people to suffer like us, you know? Dude, no, it's it, alone, I would never, especially. Yeah, I would never wish yeah. what I went through on anybody, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I mean, and not that I'm the type of person that's like, that person deserves to have a flat tire. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That person deserves <laughs> the IRS to crack down on. Like, n- none of those types of things, but... I just can't imagine if if you run down the list of people that I'm not fans of. Like, I don't want any of them to have to deal with that, and especially people that you love, man. Like, that's the hardest thing, you know, especially when you when you consider that somebody does, you know, if they do, unfortunately, you know, commit suicide or something like that, and there's somebody that you would have talked to about it, somebody that you felt close enough to, it's like, dude, I've been there, and, like, maybe there's just such an aloneness to that, that feeling that, you, you can't convince, like, even with people sitting in the room with you, my brother sitting there trying to explain to me, like, dude, I love you and stuff like that. It's like, dude, I hear that you love me, but, like, I still feel like I'm alone in this, yeah. you know, and you can't understand, you can't relate to it. And I feel like if more people understood that we're all, you know, a little bit fucked up, I guess, like, maybe they could find some comfort in that, as messed up as that is. And I know that if, if there was, like, a, you know, a psychologist or a doctor somebody heard that they'd be like well this kid's an, this kid's an idiot but I don't think it's some like intricate thing man I think that it's really just like a human interaction thing and like if I feel like nobody else has ever felt the way that I feel I don't want to hear you talk about it you know but as soon as I was convinced by somebody else that they had been through what I'd been before and this had been mapped out before and that they had survived it, I was like, oh, well, I can survive it too. Yeah. But before I had that conversation, it was like, dude, this is going south quick. Yeah. And, like, how am I going to, like, yeah. make sure that my son gets this life insurance policy check, you yeah. know? And it's just such a it's such a dark thing that nobody wants to talk about, you know? But, like, all the, all the dark things, man, it's one of those things that n- none of them are going to become better until you can at least have a conversation about yeah. it. Like, you know, whether that's – you're talking about, like, mental health or – racism or whatever is out there like you it has to be talked about like it has to it it doesn't just disappear on its own and and if anybody is got somebody that they know that's struggling from mental health issues and they think that just ignoring it or just like even doing i mean dude as much as like somebody liking a a post or something like that can do for us these days that's great but like just just an organic reaching out and be like dude hey how are you are you okay and like not needing anything from somebody but just be like hey are you okay that's so that's so big and especially if somebody that's been through a similar experience you know they reach out to you and and share and just like listen and stuff like that um 
it's it's such a big thing getting that energy out of you bottling it up is is where i think people really 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 mess up and i think that's true with like any type of anger or like negative emotion keeping it inside of you only amplifies it until it comes out in one way or another and if it never comes out you know and people wind up killing themselves or something like well that's the ultimate expression of all the feelings that they had before and that's the the saddest thing ever man so like you know if it sounds it's so easy to just be like hey man call me if you need something or like dude if you need somebody to talk to call me but like i mean that bro like i you know i i'm i haven't given the suicide hotline my cell phone number or anything like that but like if if anybody that i know is struggling with that it's just it's almost like my duty at this point to like give back to the cause because like it's something that that almost claimed me man and and if if you would have told me that when i was like 10 or 13 or 16 or 20 you would have been like hey dude you might you might end it on your own because you're having panic attacks i'm like dude get out of my face you know the same way that if you would have told me that i was going to grow up and be an mma fighter and not play third base for the atlanta braves i was like get out of my face bro i'm definitely playing third base you know um but i i don't know man i i know that it's something that people don't want to give energy to and like they don't want to put gas on that fire but talking about it in the right way, I feel like isn't adding to oh, to it. I think know? it's the most healthy thing any of us can do. Yeah, uh, it really is. But um, dude, I, again, I, I'm with you 100, percent and I totally vibe with your story, bro. Yeah, 100. percent But um, shoot, man, you're one of the stars of the PGF, and so really, last question: What's next for Matt Elkins? You know, you've you've really you really made a claim for being one of the best guys in the Southeast. I mean, yeah. you looked incredible this past season. You won 14 matches in a row, all with chokes. Yeah. Nobody did that. Um, you know, yeah. you did finish number two for a reason. So what's next for Matt Elkins? Man, if we're talking about, I mean, training is definitely the the, the common denominator and what happens in the future. I'm going to try and compete some more. Uh, me personally, I might try and do a little bit of, you know, I'm just, my man Care Bear is trying to talk me into doing a couple of gi competitions and continuing to do no gi as well. But, like, just whatever happens next. Like, there's there's not enough jujitsu around without the seasons mm-hmm. yet. Yet, children, that's coming. But right now, you know, every month, two months, like, you can find a competition. So he's trying to get me uh, on that competition train just super hard, whatever I can do. I, part of me was like, hey – let's sit back and like just relax and then do the PGF again. If Brandon will have me do the 225 um, weight class, obviously I'll be smaller and I'll be excited to like prove, you know, to me, because one of the fundamental things in jiu-jitsu is like a smaller person possibly controlling a bigger person. So like, can you really do that? Like, I want to hear what you got to say. If you can do that, then like, I want to hear your opinion for sure. And uh, so I kind of want to do the next season. If that rolls around in January, um, I don't know, man. People, we've been talking about doing the ADCC trials. I think those got pushed back, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, really, to be honest. I wanna, I definitely wanna, wanna dive into the leg lock game further. I mean, obviously, you guys know I've been coming up here training and trying to level up in that department and and make up the gap that was there before. Obviously, getting leg locked in seven seconds by my man Elijah got a lot of work to do. But I mean, dude, it's the same mentality that led me from wrestling and then to jujitsu and then to kicking pads and then to fighting and you know 
uh, I'm, I'm always down to learn the next thing. Like I, I'm not so set in my ways that I'm not going to learn a whole new game. And I think that leg locks could be a big, big part of it. Obviously, if you're going to be a sport jiu-jitsu player, got to have that leg lock game these days. So for me, that's like the next thing that I want to have in my, my arsenal as far as a competitor and as a, a coach on my own school. I want to be able to, uh, to pass on leg lock knowledge to people. So personally, that's, that's the next thing that I'm trying to do for my game. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I can't get better at chokes and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. but that's just where the biggest hole in my game is, which I, I appreciated the PGF because we got that opportunity um, to see what, hey, what are you really good at? What do you need some work at? Like, what body type do you struggle with? Um, all those types of things. But uh, I'm going to try and get back to training, just try and level up, keep the school running properly, make sure that we survive, survive the whole COVID epidemic and all that shit. And then, uh, yeah, get back to training. I think if we're talking about long-term, long-term end goals, I mean, I would like to be able to go to the ADCC games one day. I don't know if that's, like, this year. I don't feel that way, honestly. I mean, I'm a bit of a realist, you know. I don't really feel like I'm going to go to the ADCC or, like, go win the trials or anything. But I'd like to get in the mix there, go get some uh, experience, and then maybe, like, who knows, next, next time it rolls back around, Make some, uh, make some real noise. Uh, maybe travel, do some jujitsu, see the world, wear flip flops around the rest of my life. That's really what's what I'm trying to do. You know, <laughs> that's that's the end goal. If I can, uh, yeah, not be chained to a desk nine to five like, and uh, yeah, do some jujitsu with the boys. That's what it's. That's what it, we're really trying to do for sure. Well, shoot, dude. Amen. I love that plan, and uh, hopefully we're along for the ride. I'll be right there with you, man. Um, it's been a pleasure having you up here, man. You're one of my favorite guys to train with. Your jiu-jitsu is beautiful, and, man, it's just an honor to have you in the room. But let's wrap it up, bro. All right, man. Until next time, guys, love you. Peace.